Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending with real-time notifications. Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic details of a young girl's murder. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on, Amy should be 40. What I said was, what would you say if I told you in my pocket I have a picture of you with one of your students at that nature center? And he thought, he got quiet, he thought for a minute, and this is exactly what he said word for word. I never told the FBI I wasn't there. All I ever told them was I don't remember being there. So we're here in Bay Village, Ohio, um, at the center where Amy was abducted. And with Amy Mahalovic's childhood friend, Christy Sabo. So originally, right over here was Baskin Robbins, um, a huge place for all the kids to go hang out after school. Baskin Robbins isn't there anymore. These days, the kids have moved on to a Dairy Queen up the road. While those who were here in 1989 cannot come back and not think of Amy. Say a little prayer and pray for justice. For the girl who invited Sabo over to sleep in second grade, Amy was her first friend. We laughed, we had a good time, and we just meshed. You know, when you're a little kid and you have to find somebody you mesh with, and I meshed with Amy. A tomboy who liked the Golden Girls and Dirty Dancing, had a crush on Patrick Swayze, and a bedroom that was cool by kids' standards. Walked in, there was her bed, and then uh, she had a huge dollhouse, big, beautiful dollhouse. She had horses. A bedroom that by late 1989, Sabo never wanted to see again. You're listening to Amy Should Be 40. We're exploring one of the most haunting and heartbreaking missing children's cases of our time. This is part three, and by now, Amy is missing. Weeks have gone by and Margaret Mahalovic would begin to invite her daughter's friends over. But it didn't feel right. At least not to Christy Sabo. Mrs. Mahalovic never made me uncomfortable. She was wonderful. Um, her grief made me uncomfortable as a kid. You know, Amy's room being the same, it being Amy's house, Amy not being there. Um, she would have the friends come over, and I was always invited to come over and be there because, you know, we. she felt we brought her closer to Amy, which... I totally understand that. Um, unfortunately, I had a hard time doing that, and I do regret it to this day, but I was 10, and I remember my mom driving me there, and I couldn't go, I just couldn't do it. Today, Sabo has kids of her own, a son and a daughter who's four, which petrifies her. If my children aren't where they're supposed to be at the right time, I have a panic attack inside, and worried, and I'm cautious, and I'm, um, I have a lot of feelings. Fear, having lived through a worst-case scenario. In my head, in my 10-year-old head, I was like, she's fine. She's coming home. It's okay. But it turned to another thing. My mother was on the news that night asking where she is, and it was very surreal after that. Everywhere I went, I would look for her. Everywhere everyone went, we looked for her. Well, the things that made her childhood what it was soon stopped. Say, you know, ride our bikes up here to Baskin Robbins, which we did regularly. You know, that was a no-go. Trick-or-treating that year, 
when we would all go out trick-or-treating, that was a no. Somebody might be out there trying to take little kids. But let's pause for a moment to consider this. Back in 1989, how many ways could a predator take little kids? Steal them from a park? Grab them from a mall? Both would be likely to raise red flags. I do understand the panic here, but were people getting a little extreme? After all, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, less than 1% of missing kids are the results of non-family abductions, meaning this was an anomaly, which everyone knew, which made it the big story that it was. Statistically, it was highly, highly, highly unlikely that someone you did not know would take your kid. Most missing children are runaways, followed by family abductions in about 4% of cases, which means if it wasn't some kind of pervy close family friend or relative, what happened to Amy was rare, really rare. And keep in mind, everyone was watching. Kids might have never been safer. But here's where it does get scary. It's when we begin to think about what would happen today if a predator tried reaching her and how they could do it. From Snapchat to Pokemon Go, they would have a lot more than a phone at their disposal. And as a parent, that petrifies me. There is an explanation for why Sabo worries. She's been through something traumatic. For the rest of us, we know the tools the bad guys have to traumatize us. There's a lot now that with social media and all these other outlets of predators to find children. And Amy's was just a phone call. But the trap really took more than a phone call. It was the timing in Amy's life. She was vulnerable. Christy says she wanted to please, maybe more than most kids did. Amy's parents had been fighting and would eventually divorce. And at the heart of it, Amy was a mama's girl who wanted to make her mom, Margaret, happy, pick out a present. And that pleasing opened her up to vulnerability. So much, she may have ignored the rules. Her father, Mark, said the family had a code word to protect her and her older brother, Jason, from strangers, but isn't sure that Amy even used it. So we actually did have a, uh, um, a code word that nobody could... If somebody went to the school and said, hey, I want uh, Jason or Amy, if they didn't know the password, they weren't to, they were not to respond. We actually had that in effect back then. But it's just a, it's a Jewish word for crazy, Michigana. Mark said his daughter knew better. Margaret and her were the best of friends, and uh, um, Margaret and I were on the rough edges of rough times, and uh, she wanted to impress Margaret. Now, if you're there thinking my kid would never do that, just wait until you hear what our sister station staged in Charlotte. Hey, fellas, how are y'all doing? I got delivery here. On the street, a man posing as a delivery man claiming he's lost. Boys a little younger than Amy playing. Inside, their moms who agreed to participate in this, who've warned their kids about strangers watching. What's the owner's name? The boys give the stranger a full name along with personal information. They get close to him. To them, he just seems to be a genuine grown-up, as officers alert moms to what a criminal could have done next. Oh, God. As you see how close they are, or if there was someone else with him, and they jumped out, I mean, they'd both be gone. Never say never. And never think a situation cannot get more bizarre. It can. 
You want a conspiracy theory? Mark Mahalovic often thought the killer was the son of a man who did floors in his home. Again, since he wasn't charged in Amy's case, we are not naming him. But he is in prison, sentenced to life. And it's not because of Amy. He did get a hold of somebody. He lived out in Seven Hills or someplace in that area and uh, killed somebody. And when the police got there to his house, um, they caught him in the backyard burying the body. Not related to Amy. Burying a body when police show up. Apparently some kind of frenemy who did drugs with him. When the guy goes missing, police show up and he's burying the missing guy's body in his yard? How messed up is that? But it fits one belief that Mark's had all along, that whoever it was had to have known his family and their routine. A routine that involved the Lake Erie Nature Science Center in Bay Village, free to the public just up the road. You'd go in there and it had a guest book. Right. And you would write your name, your address, and I don't know much more about it. I hope not the phone number, but... And uh, when Amy uh, case evolved, that... Uh, from what I understand is that address guest book is no longer there, or was no longer there. And other girls are getting calls. A common thread, that science center, a popular place for class trips. Aquariums full of reptiles and fish which are native to Lake Erie. In those days, you signed in when you went just beyond the front door. And again, the girls who got calls signed that book. It's why James Renner asked that teacher in Florida if he'd been there. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. And now, to his third suspect, the one we'll call Mr. Spock. You'll soon see why. It all goes back to a day two years after Amy died. James is now a teenager. His parents had been divorced, and he's spending a weekend with his mom, who since moved from Rocky River to a community called Old Brooklyn. It's closer to Cleveland, more urban. There's a park across the street, which is part of the city's metro park system. In front, a parking lot with restrooms, and beyond them, thick woods. James decides to explore. And I look over, and there's a man standing in the doorway to the men's room, and he's grabbing himself. And as a 12, 13-year-old, I kind of, you know, denial is is, is, is very easy. And, uh, you know, I, so what I told myself was, oh, he's just got an itch or something that's kind of strange. And so... I kept going down the path, um, and the path only goes one way. It just takes you into the woods, further and further away from from civilization. And you're by yourself. By myself, yeah. And uh, I look back, and now this guy is walking, following me down the path. And that's where where I got the first twinge of apprehension. I'm like, something doesn't feel right. So I start jogging, and I look back, and now this guy's jogging after me. So now I realize I'm in trouble, and I, I, I run as fast as I can, and this guy just takes off, and, and he's going he's gonna to catch me. Um, and I can't get back to safety going further down this path. It just takes you into the woods. So on the left side of the path are all these berry bushes, and then beyond the bushes is a railroad track that takes you back to the road. So this is my only chance. I, I crash through the berry bushes, 
I start running down the railroad track back towards the apartments and I can hear him behind me on the tracks now kicking up gravel. And I realize he's going to catch up to me before I make the road and before I get back to the apartments. And now on either side of the tracks, I'm like in a canyon. And on either side are these like sheer rock walls of like shale, like crumbly shale. And I have to, the only way I can escape is to to scale one of these walls. But luckily, at the time, I'm 120 pounds soaking wet. And, uh, you know, I spent my days exploring woods. I'm I'm strong and, and I managed to do it. I scale one of these walls and I look down. As soon as I get to the top, I look down and he's right below me. Wow. And I remember two things about his face. Uh, one, the mask had come off. And he had a mask on? No, 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 no. Like figuratively, you know, his mask, you know, the, the, what, he, what he shows people day to day, you know, and all that was left was this look of sheer rage on an adult's face. And I'd never seen that look on an adult before, just complete rage. Um, and secondly, he I remember he looked sort of like Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> you know, which is- Mr. A, Spock uh, trying yeah. to abduct you. So I, 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 f- I flick him off. I give him the bird and I go running back to the apartments. We call the police. They come. And uh, by then he's long gone. To this day, I, th- I, I think it's possible that- uh, the, the guy that took Amy, it could have been the guy that tried to take me in that park. Partly because years later at a book signing, he was approached by a man who once worked in that park system. So I tell him the story about nearly getting abducted from that park off Memphis Road. And as I'm telling him this, you know, his face just, it just gets white. You know, he's losing, you know. And after I, after I tell him the story, he says, have you ever looked into my old boss? I'm like, no. I'm like, Look into your old boss for what? And he kind of waves his hand at the table of books and at me, and he says, for all this. James Googles him. The first thing you get when you Google his name are all these articles, newspaper articles, about when he was arrested in 2002, I believe, um, for soliciting a, um, a sex act from an undercover agent at one of the metro parks. In fact, not just any park, the exact park that I was almost abducted from is where this guy was arrested. And there were kids playing around as he's, as he's trying to get this going on. And along with the article is his picture, and damned if he doesn't look quite a bit like Leonard Nimoy. James tracked him down to the gated community where he lived. And after the guy pulls up in a golf cart, asks him his most personal question first. Did you once try to abduct me? The man denies it. Then, James brings up what he's uncovered in the guy's personnel file. By now, it's public record. Interesting thing here is 10 days, just 10 days after Amy Mihalovic's abduction in 1989, he had himself committed to a mental hospital. And I said, of all the time in your life, why 10 days after Amy Mihalovic did you commit yourself? And he was honest with me. He said it was because he had sexual urges he couldn't control. But you know, I'm always amazed by the suspects that, you know, when you show up at their house that, you know, that tell you the story. You would think that if you're a suspect in a murder, you wouldn't say anything. But nine times out of ten, they, I think they've just been waiting for somebody to come along and, and ask to hear their side of it. Detective work is hard. Today, I really enjoy going to the Science Center, by the way. Actually, I recommend it. 
and I can personally attest you do not sign a book anymore. And I can also tell you that many of the girls who did get calls in those days hate to talk about it. There's a sense a killer may still be out there, and if they could have been victimized once, why on earth would they let their identities be shared in this podcast? I tried interviewing a woman who never got a call, just knew Amy growing up, who said she wasn't really worried about any of that, but her husband was. It's been 30 years, we've all grown up, and yet something still makes us feel like vulnerable 10-year-olds, even if we have 10-year-olds. That's what makes the legacy of Amy's murder so powerful. Another woman from that time who first agreed to talk canceled on us at last minute, twice, writing, quote, considering there is a killer who is not yet caught, I'm just not willing to risk bringing any attention or potential harm to my family. Hope you understand, end quote. By the way, Mark Mahalovic says sometimes he'll still order a pizza, and the person on the other end recognizes his name and offers condolences. Same in the halls of law enforcement. From what I heard, and I, don't, I think I'm true, but I don't know, this is the longest-running open case, never been cold-cased, in FBI history. That's what I've heard. That's quite a, quite a deal. Remarried with three children, rarely refusing an interview about the child he lost. For him, talking seems to help. While for Amy's friend Christy, there's a river from Lake Erie that flows into Bay Village where she likes to go. It's beautiful, especially now in late fall when the trees turn yellow. I go to the river and I pray and I ask for, ask for peace and I ask for love and forgiveness. And that tip for investigators who promised to call her and Mark if the case ever gets solved, who may have one final clue yet, untested DNA from three single hairs, one of which could belong to the killer. But to know for sure, they'd have to be destroyed. So what should they do? What would you do? Next time on Amy Should Be 40. In the process of analyzing DNA, you use up that DNA, and it's gone, it's gone. So you have to be very careful on when you pick and choose what you're going to do. Amy Should Be 40 is a five-part podcast and collaboration between 3 News in Cleveland and Vault Studios. I'm Andrew Horansky, senior reporter at 3, working with Phil Trexler and James Renner. Our executive producer is Will Johnson. Our digital director is Denise Polverine. Special thanks to Sean Estes, Susan Moses, Adam Ostro, and to our parent company, Tegna. From all of us, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, do not forget to give us a good review. See you next time. Hold up. 